I'm Ginger. And I'm Dutch. Alright folks, welcome back to another episode of Ginger and Dutch here on the Ginger and Dutch podcast. We've got a jam-packed episode this week. We've got Eric Smith on, voice of the Toronto Raptors. Dutch and I are going to talk a little bit of PGA Tour golf, Arnold Palmer Invitational, Who's the Goat, NBA, NCAA, and we're going to finish up with friends of the show, Old Boy, with the start of our MLB preview, talking AL East and NL East. Unfortunately, Dutch wasn't able to join us here for the interview with Eric Smith. We're going to cut right to it, folks. We've got a lot on this week's episode, so let's send it over to my chat with Eric Smith. All right, listeners, let's give a special welcome to Raptors play-by-play man, host of Sports 590, Smith and Jones show weekdays from 1 to 2, 20-plus years with the Raptors, Mr. Eric Smith. Eric, are you on the line? I am here. Oh, awesome. We're, uh, it's nice to finally have you, uh, have you on the podcast. It's, uh, it's great. We've been back and forth a little bit and with your busy schedule, so it's nice to finally uh, to get you on here. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me, and I'm, I'm sorry it's taken this long, but I'm glad we've been able to, to finally hook up. Uh, not a problem at all. Not a problem at all. So I'm going to kick it off with a, with a fun way here. Uh, had a little tidbit from our friend of the show and, and friend of ours, uh, Paul Jones, who's uh, a co-word of yours for, for a while now. Tell us a story about meeting Dennis Rodman in the, uh, the 07 or 08. Jonesy couldn't remember which year, but uh, one of those years. Tell us, tell us a story about it. You know, I don't even remember off the top of my head what year it was. I'm thinking, I think it was 07. Um, I should probably know it off the top of my head because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's only my job. But, hey, after all, these, after all these years and after a lot of those lean years with the Raptors, they kind of all, uh, they all sort of blend together. Um, it was when the Raptors were playing the then New Jersey Nets in the playoffs, and we were actually staying uh, a lot of times when the Raptors uh, uh, play, well, now Brooklyn as well, but even back in the in the Jersey days, uh, nobody wanted to stay in Jersey. When I say nobody, I meant like the players, and, you know, we have the, the luck or the, the honor, the privilege of, of flying uh, on the team charter and, and staying with the team in, in the team hotels, because trust me, otherwise I'd never be staying at those places if it was on my dime. Um, so anyways... We normally stay in New York City, but because of the playoffs and the travel and back and forth from the from the city, uh, I think the team was just a little bit apprehensive or nervous about you know whether it be getting stuck in traffic or having the distractions of the big city or whatever. So they decided to stay out in Jersey, and we sort of stayed in in a suburb of Jersey. So it was not your typical uh, trip to or travel to uh, you know the the Newark, uh, New Jersey, New York area for a game against the Knicks or against the Nets. So again, we're in the suburbs of of Jersey somewhere. I don't even remember exactly where we were, but we were in the suburbs of Jersey somewhere at a hotel that was absolutely fine. There was nothing wrong with the hotel. It was, a, it was a beautiful hotel, but by a lot of NBA standards, it wasn't your Ritz or your Four Seasons or whatever. I, it it might have been a very, very, very nice Marriott that you or I would gladly stay at the rest of our lives if we had to. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, we're there on, the, on a, I believe it was a Saturday night. Um, after one of the games, I again, off the top of my head, I don't remember if it was after game two, game five, whatever it was. But I went down to the lobby bar, and uh, I was having a drink with our our friend, our colleague Jack Armstrong, and Jonesy was down there as well. 
And from what I recall, and I promise you, I'm not by no means am I name dropping here at all. Because I honestly, I've, I've been traveling for 17 years, been covering the team for, for over 20, almost 25. And I can, I can count on, if not one hand, two hands. So we're talking either less than five, definitely less, less than 10 times in 20 plus years that I've socialized with a player. It just, it doesn't happen. They have their lives. I have my life. It's, yep. you know, there's a professional relationship, but just so happened that that night uh, sitting at the, at, at, in the lobby bar, Morris Peterson came over and Mo sat down at the table and just kind of started chatting with us. And somebody came over and, and sort of tapped him on the shoulder and, you know, kind of they having a little side conversation at one point and Mo got up from the table and ended up walking over to another table and sat down. It was a bigger table with, with you know, I don't know, like maybe six or eight guys sitting around it. Oh, so that's all right. Fine. Mo's going to go his, his way. He, he chatted with us for 10, 20 minutes, and that was about it. He comes over again a couple minutes later. He's like, fellas, come on. Why don't you come over, uh, join our table? I got somebody to introduce you to. <laughs> so we walk over to the table, and clear as day, like when we get there, uh, there's – like I said, six, eight guys and look at this guy and look at this guy. And there's a guy that looks almost exactly like me sitting right beside this six, whatever, six, seven, six, eight. And I honestly don't remember if he had the, like, I know he had the, he was tatted up and had the, the earrings and whatnot, but I don't remember yeah. what color his hair was at the point, <laughs> but he was in the midst of telling a story as we got to the table. And when we got to the table, Mo, like, again, Mo had invited us over. We sat down at the table and and Dennis Rodman is sitting right there and he's in the midst of telling a story and he's you know he's very animated and and, and very engaged in the story and and he clearly saw us come over you know not, not like he's blind he, you know he he saw us come over and, and and sit down at the table and he tells the story and then as he just sort of like his head is making its way around the table talking to each person and regaling everybody in the story he's telling he just stops and just locks eyes with me and I like, what am I going to say? I'm just, I'm looking at him. Like, I'm just trying to be respectful, listening to the story. And I didn't interrupt like to say, Hey, how, how you guys doing? Cause it was in the midst of the story. And yeah. if looks could kill, like he could not have been more displeased at the fact, I don't know if it was just me or if it was Jonesy and Jack as well. If it was just the, the moment, I, I don't, if there's something about my face, I have no idea, but he just was daggers at me, just daggers to the point where I was like, I was bug eyed. And thinking, what the hell do I do here? Do I need to slink out of this chair and get out of here, or like, do I need to like go kiss the ring or something? And like, 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 what's what's happening? I don't like, I don't understand why I'm getting because Jonesy wasn't getting it, Jack wasn't getting it. And he was just just like shooting daggers at me, and Mo actually had to lean over and just kind of put his hand up. He goes, Dennis, Dennis, he's, it's all right, man. He's with me. He's with me. He's good. And Dennis just kind of looked at me again for one second. And sort of flicked his head and goes, okay, so then anyways, as I was saying, he kept going on with another story. <laughs> and it was just, but, but, but that for like 15, 20 seconds, it was, all right, something's about to go down here. And, and Dennis Rodman does not want me here at this table. And that was, I, I don't know if that's the version Jonesy told it or if he told any version, but that's, that's kind of the, the Dennis Rodman story. And it, it, it turned out that he was there at the hotel. I guess I should tell that. He was at the hotel for the wedding. One of the dudes at the table was his either his agent or one of his, one of his agents, but it was, it was, uh, you know, his agent's wedding. And uh, he just happened to be, uh, you know, at the, at the wedding to, to celebrate with friends and family and just by fluke happened to be at the same hotel that the Raptors were at. Oh, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. That'll be a story that you take with you for, mm -hmm. uh, for your life for sure. Let's, uh, 
let's get into the Raptors, Eric. Um, wanted to talk about how this season's kind of unfolded, where this team's going to go moving forward, uh, your thoughts on on the second half schedule, and a whole bunch of things here. So let's start with, with some of the highlights of the year, and, and who's been your biggest surprise um, this season? You know, everybody's looking at Chris Boucher, but, you know, I've been impressed with Norm and a couple other guys. Who do, who do you got as kind of your biggest, you know, maybe a guy that you didn't see performing this way or – you know, somebody that's just been steady Eddie and, and doing their job the whole season long. You know, the, if you'd asked me this about a month ago, and I know you were because, again, we've been trying to do this for a while, uh, it would have been a different answer because at least for, for what, about a two- or three-week span, if not maybe a little bit longer, uh, Stanley Johnson seemed to have really carved out a role for himself on this team and in the rotation. Um, and, and that's not to say that he's not playing still, but I, I just feel like for whatever reason, whether it's getting back some healthy bodies, whether it's some other guys playing better, whether it's Baines coming off the bench predominantly now, and maybe that's just changed Nick Nurse's rotation, whatever it is, it just seems like Stanley's not playing as much as he was a little bit earlier. Like I say, he had that two, three week run and he would have been my number one answer just based on that window in time, because, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, whether it was role, whether it was injury, whether it was depth, whatever it was, he was barely on the floor last year. We didn't see him much last year. Mm-hmm. So I think going into the season, there was, uh, you know, very little expectation uh, in terms of what he might provide. Um, and I thought he was playing very well. He was providing far more offense than what I thought he would, especially with the three-point shot. And he's become pretty proficient in the corner threes, uh, but certainly defensively as well. We all knew he could defend, but, uh, you know, I think he's, you know, developed a pretty decent role for himself uh, as a defender on this team. And again, uh, that was sort of the old answer because the role has diminished a little bit. So I don't know if he'd be yeah. the one to truly go with. So uh, I would say Boucher. And the reason I don't say Norm is because I expect this from Norm. And I don't know if it's gotcha. fair to say that I sit here and, and, and say I expect 20 every night, but I expect him to be a pretty damn good player. I expect him to be a player that's that's capable of starting, not just as a spot starter, but on a regular basis. I expect him to be a three-point shooter and a guy that can get, get to the rim and a guy that made a name for himself when he first came in as a rookie as a defensive guy. So you know what? You can still defend it, still in you. I expect that from you. So uh, that's that's to me, uh, either in a roundabout way or a direct way, it's a very you know high compliment to him that I'm not surprised by this. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, pleasantly happy by what I'm seeing. It's no, no, this is who you are. This is what I expect you to do. Whereas with Chris Boucher uh, to go from being a guy that was a depth big behind Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka and Pascal Siakam for that matter, to now come into a role where he is a uh, spot starter, a sixth starter, uh, a sixth man, uh, a major portion of this team. Let's just say whatever role it is on any given night, he is, arguably as important as any other player based on the offense he provides, the shot blocking he provides, the defense, the energy, the, 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 the change in look, whatever it is, all of it. Uh, I think he's become an extremely important part to this team. And I would argue as well that the contract that he signed, he's already underpaid. He, he's he's, he's yeah. far more valuable than the money he's getting paid. So he'd be my guy. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And, and on, on the Boucher point, um, why do you believe that Nurse hasn't made that switch yet to to have him in the starting lineup and maybe put Baines on off of the bench? Is it because of what Boucher's bringing off of the bench that they don't want to make that flip and they feel that they might be a bit light off the bench if they <clears throat> they make that change? Or wh- what's your thought there? Well, I, I, I think we kind of have seen the change already. I just don't know if we've seen the team healthy enough, long enough to know if that is the steadfast locked in mm-hmm. change, right? Because if you recall, if we go back a couple of weeks, 
they did move Baines to the bench and they did have Boucher yep. in the starting lineup and the Raptors were going with that smaller lineup. When when they finally got OG Ananobi back healthy, the question was, what are they going to do with the lineup? Are you going to continue to start Norm? Is he going to come off the bench? If you do start Norm, then how does that change things? Because now you've got Norm and OG. And then are you starting Pascal with Boucher or is Baines still in there? How's it going to shake out? And we did see for, if I'm not mistaken, at least a couple of games, Chris Boucher yeah, was, was yeah, yeah, he was yep. in there. But then, of course, again, whether it was injuries and certainly now the last uh, week plus, uh, the, the the COVID restrictions and, and whatnot, the sa- health and safety protocols, that has forced Nurse and, and Scariolo to uh, kind of rejig things a little bit. So once this team's back after the break, once they're knock on wood back to full health and, and, and we've put the, the virus concerns behind us for, for the team, hopefully, uh, I think then we'll get a greater sense of if this is something that that's locked in and, and, and good to go for the rest of the season. Uh, and it might just be one of those kind of matchup driven things. Cause uh, I, I'm not going to be one of those that completely um, uh there's a there's a term I want to use, but I probably shouldn't. I'll just say as as cheese balls this might sound. I'm not going to be one of those that poo poos on on Aaron Baines because I think there have been some, uh, you know, there have been some games where yeah he hasn't been great, but I think there have also been some games where he's either been damn good or at least at the very least pretty solid. And if he just does what he what he what he's out there to do, rebound the basketball, provide some size in the post on both ends of the floor, I think he can be pretty effective. If people think he's going to be a uh, you know, a 10 and 10, 15 and 10 guy every single night. I, I just don't think he's that player. And I don't know that the Raptors need him to be that guy. But if he fills a specific role, uh, I think he can be effective. And I think we've seen that in spurts this season where he's had some pretty damn good games. Uh, and if he stays out of foul trouble, again, I say, I think he can be pretty effective. That's that's a great insight there. Moving, you mentioned as we shape up here into the, the second half of the schedule, how do you see it shaping up? Because, you know, I look at it and I see a couple games against the Pistons, a couple games against the Bulls and the Cavs and the Hawks and the Wizards and all teams that are that are currently below the Raptors right now. I think it's favorable in some areas. I know they've got some tough spots with, you know, the Clippers and the Lakers and stuff. But, you know, is, is this not prime for a little bit of a run, you know, get them healthy, a little bit of a, you know, 10 to 15 games where, you know, you should win? easily and then you, you take care of business on some other games I feel it's primed and ready for uh, for the Raptors to kind of move up that those Eastern Conference standings yeah I, I don't disagree with you and and you know I'll, I'll I'll say this and and you know at the risk of sounding like I'm ducking the question and I promise you I'm not I think this year is such a bizarre year though to try and figure out what the hell is happening with anybody with any team for that matter I mean let, let's just let's just as a quick aside uh deal with the the in the now moment how long are Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons going to be sidelined I mean, with the health and safety protocols, contact tracing with this barber in Philadelphia that kept them out of the game yesterday, uh, the all-star game, um, you know, are they going to be absent from the Sixers lineup when we come back from the break later on this week, or are they going to be good to go? If they are gone from the lineup, are they only missing one game, two games, five games? So does that impact where Philadelphia stands right now at the top of the East at at 24 and 12, only a half game ahead of the Nets? Does it take Brooklyn some time to figure out Blake Griffin and, and where he fits? Or is it just, oh, no, we've added another multi-time all-star and a hell of a player and we'll be fine. So I, I look at that and I go, this season is so bizarre with the schedule, with how compact the schedule is. This second half of the year now, there are a lot of teams that are playing you know damn near close to 35 games in 65 nights, 68 nights. We're talking about, I've seen in the, on the schedule, and I honestly, I haven't even looked for the Raptors. I'm pretty confident they do have this at least once. Teams are playing not just, you know, five games in seven nights or five games in eight nights. I'm seeing seven games in 10 nights. Like it's the, the, the schedule is so jam packed right now. And then add to the fact is, as you know, and it, it's become a, maybe a, a tired narrative, but it's a very true and legit narrative. 
The Raptors are playing every game on the road. We can talk about, yeah, they're home away from home as Tampa, but you know, they're practicing at a makeshift practice facility in a hotel and they're, they're, they're in a, they're in a, in a, in a gym in an arena that's not theirs. They're constantly, you know, on the road, even when they're home in terms of they don't have the regular condos or homes that they would have in Toronto. Uh, you know, it's been a, a makeshift setup for them. Then they're back out on the road. I feel like they've had longer road trips this year. I mean, they finished a stretch in February where they had nine out of 10 games on the road. They had a six game road trip followed by a one game homestand, which again, isn't even home to go right back out on the road for three. It just, three, it's just—it's yep. been a wacky schedule, I think, for the Raptors. So when you factor all of that in, plus then trying to duck and dodge the virus uh, and, and whatnot, which they're obviously dealing with right now, it's impossible. And I, this is where the the cliche cheese ball stock answer comes in. It's impossible to know how good this team is or can be or who they should beat. Hell, we saw them lose to the Timberwolves. We saw them lose to the Pistons. They've got two more against Detroit this month. They should yep. beat Detroit in both those games, and those are games that you're speaking of that you should, you know, bully up on the opponent and, and and take care of business. But to me, man, all bets are off this year. Like, look, look what happened against the Pistons, and then they come back on a back to back, and they're tooth and nail right into the dying minutes of the fourth quarter against the Celtics with the exact same lineup. Like, really? Yep. If that effort yep. was there against Detroit, you would have beat the Pistons. So I just, I, I don't know if we can really, you know, project what's going to happen this year, pro or con, because it's just so bizarre for all teams, but especially for Toronto. Yeah, and, and earlier in the year, right? I think, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was, you know, you lost to the Timberwolves and then come back and, and beat up on Milwaukee on, on back-to-back, right? Yeah, so two straight, yep. yep. Kind of all over. So um, now to the floor. Let's get right onto the X's and O's side of it. What does this team need help with it? Is it, is it a big man and some, some rebounding and being able to clean up the glass and keep teams off of the offensive boards? Or is it a lockdown defender, um, another wing scorer? What, what do you feel can kind of help make this uh, team get a run here moving forward? Well, I'll answer your question in two parts. It depends what they have to give up to get what they need, because then that could obviously create another vacancy. Because if, 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 and again, I underscore if, the team actually does consider making a move or making a major move, and obviously the one that's been rumbled a ton, whether it actually is going to happen, Kyle Lowry. If you move Kyle Lowry to me, I still think you might need to address the point guard position, at least in the short term, because, you know, are you prepared to just finish out the year with Fred Van Vliet and Malachi Flynn? And then you've got some depth maybe with a McCaw or, yes. or you know, a Bembry who can handle the ball sometimes or, or a Jalen Harris, et cetera. To me, that could be something that needs to be addressed. I'm not convinced at this point, though, uh, that Lowry is on the move. I, I think that's very, uh, you know, a very fluid situation. So the the best answer I can give you is probably the same one that you have or a lot of people have, is I think they need a big. And I don't know that it needs to be a starting big. I don't need, you know, that it needs to be the guy that comes in to replace Aaron Baines or replace Chris Boucher or whoever. It just needs to be a big in the rotation, a big that can play. And again, if that turns out to be a starter, great. Turns out to be a guy that's a 15, 18 minute a guy to provide you some depth. That to me is fine as well. I just think you need something at this point because you are pretty thin, uh, literally and figuratively, when you look beyond a Chris Boucher. Now, when you started the year with Alex Len and he's not around, you had Len, you had Baines, you had Boucher, you've still got Siakam in the mix. You can go further into the bench or even into the G League if need be. But right now, with with Len gone and 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 with the dust settled with just what you have now, you're you know again I say for the second or third time here, knock on wood, you're another injury away from being in a world of hurt. Like if you lost a Chris Boucher or an Aaron Baines, you're really you're really banged up. You're really you're really thin. So I think they need to address that and have at least one other body in the mix. Like I say, whether it's a a starter or a, a depth guy, they do need another body. 
Would would you make the move? So I'll ask you kind of point blank here. Would you make the move for an Aldridge or a Drummond? Or and I know we've kind of beat a dead horse with Drummond here over the last month or so, but um, he's just that logical pro- progression. Would you make the move if you're Masai uh, for one of those two, it's, or maybe another one that I that I'm not thinking of? Yeah, I I think really again I'm not trying to duck it or dodge it. I think it just depends on what it's costing me. Um, you know, there was there was a I don't even know if it's fair to call it a rumor. There was a fantasy trade. Uh, that ESPN put out last week. Um, and I, I don't know if you saw it or not, but the column on ESPN and Tim Bontemps is a hell of a writer. He comes on our radio show all the time. I, I know Timmy yep. pretty well. And he's, he's, you know, he's as plugged in as a, as a, as an Adrian Wojnarowski or a Sham Sharani, whatever he's, he knows his stuff, the fantasy. And again, this isn't a rumor. It was just his fantasy trade of this could happen. This would work under the, you know, under the, the, the ramifications of the salary caps and whatever, whatever. Um, he had a, a scenario where it was a three-team deal involving Cleveland, Philadelphia, and Toronto, where Toronto would be getting back uh, Tyrese Maxey from from uh, uh, from Philly, um, uh, Drummond from Cleveland, and I believe there were two first-round draft picks. One of them might have had some protections on it. Now I look at a deal like that, and again, fantasy. That was this is not an official rumor. It's not something that's out there. It was just a fantasy. This could work. This would work in the math. I looked at that and thought, if you can get a piece that's a big that would help you right now, that you would get a 25-30 game audition for in Drummond to decide, do we want him back or not? And if we don't, then we free up his money and we still have financial wiggle room and a lot of it in the offseason. We get a young piece, an emerging piece in, in Maxi, and then we get two pieces that can be used as chips for ourselves or in other trades you know, now or down the road. I look at that and go, yeah, it's not a bad haul, not a bad haul for a guy that may or may not be back in the offseason. At the same time, yeah. is that enough for a guy who is your franchise player, your cornerstone, the, the greatest of all time, who's going to have the statue outside one day and the jersey retired, and a guy who would likely, I wouldn't even say could or might, I think he would, come back and bite you big time if you played him in the playoffs, especially if you trade him, obviously, to an Eastern Conference team. Um, So that, to me, would be tough. So it it really does come back to what's the return for what I'm getting or what is it costing me to get an Aldridge, uh, a Drummond, a whatnot. I I, I think that's the the, the greatest challenge at this point for Masai Ujiri and for Bobby Webster is trying to figure out, you know, what's it going to cost them to improve? Because that's, that's, hey, that's why you and I aren't making the big bucks and making the decisions because I think that, that... beyond just what do we do with Lowry? What do we need to do to address the roster? It's, okay, are we a championship contender? Are we a playoff contender? Are we a championship contender? I would think right now, uh, just based on how the season has gone and based on how the team is two games below 500, I don't know that they're a championship contender right now. I definitely think they're a playoff contender. And I think they have the experience that if they get in the playoffs, could they make some noise? Could they be a team that pulls some upsets? Could they be a team like Miami last year? that catches fire and, and gets hot at the right time, no pun intended, and, and all, all of a sudden ends up in the finals. Maybe, maybe, but is that yeah. one move going to kick you back a few steps because you gave up too much, or is that one move you're making going to vault you into, oh, heck, we're a hell of a lot better now. We're a top four. We legitimately have a shot now, and that's kind of, to me, the the challenge in the, in the poker game right now for the Raptors because you know you're looking ahead to the offseason when – uh, major decisions, decision, excuse me, are looming for at the very least Lowry and Powell. Let alone what that means to the to the construction of your roster beyond that for for the next few years to come. That's right. 
and you kind of you kind of hit on my next question. I got a couple more questions before we let you go mm-hmm. here. Um, do you see anybody from four to eleven in that Eastern Conference um, coming up? Like, I kind of feel like it's our it's my father's Eastern Conference. You got the Celtics <laughs> there, and now the Knicks are there, and the Heat are there, and I feel like I'm back in the the Ewing, Starks, Alonzo, and and Grandma Ma days here uh, in that Eastern Conference, which is nice to have. But is there anybody there? You know, everyone's going to kind of look at Miami, but the Knicks are playing good defensive basketball. You know, can anybody push those top three teams, specifically, I think, uh, Brooklyn and Philly, to uh, to the brink here in the East, or do you think it's going to come from one of those top two, top three? I, I still am not sold, and, and, and I've said a couple of times, I'll be the first to admit it if I'm wrong at the end of the year. I'll be the first to admit that that, that I was mistaken. I'm still not totally sold on Philly, and I, I, I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because of the last X number of years, just seeing it not click for Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Um, and and has Doc Rivers truly been the biggest difference to that team? And, and I'm not trying to take any credit away from Doc. He's a hell of a coach. But is it really just the change from rep round to Doc Rivers and suddenly this team has figured it out and, and they're not going to implode at some point, either late in the season or in the postseason? Uh, again, I'm going to be, I will promise you, I'll be the first to admit if I'm wrong, I'll tweet it out, whatever. I was wrong about the Philadelphia 76ers. I look beyond that and say, Boston's been up and down this year and it hasn't just been COVID and injuries. Milwaukee, kind of up and down a little bit. They seem to have figured it out the last couple of weeks. I think they're up to seven, eight games above 500 now. You're right. The Knicks have continued to roll along. Miami, now that they've gotten healthy and seem to have put COVID behind them, hopefully for good, they're starting to look like the team we thought they would be. Um, I'm still not sold on the Hornets. So in a, in a, in a long-winded way, I, I, I'm not sure if there is that one team. Maybe it's Miami just based on last year uh, because I still think they're a team that, that has a lot of talent, a lot of young talent, and a team that's rooted in, in good structure, especially defensive structure. And I think that can make a major difference uh, for Miami and can certainly make a major difference come playoff team. So if we're looking at that second tier of teams, who could maybe make the most damage or do the most damage to the top tier. I think it is Miami, but if I'm looking at the top teams and who has the the most legit shot of just staying among the best of the best and, and actually winning a title or, or competing for a title, I think it is Brooklyn. I, I mean, I don't want to admit it, but it's, it's pretty hard to argue, you know, the talent that they have. Everybody's talking about like, Oh, they acquired Blake Griffin now and, and they've got Griffin and Durant and Irving and Harden and, Oh yeah, by the way, there's still DeAndre Jordan. And oh yeah, there's still a Joe Harris. And oh, yeah, like there's there's still a hell of a lot of pieces on that team beyond just like the superstar sexy names that grab you off the bat. That's a very, very good team uh that I think has so many different ways to beat you that if they if they commit to playing any semblance of even a a portion of defense, defense. Yeah. they're gonna they're gonna be ridiculously hard to beat. No, there's no doubt about that. And I, I, I can't I can't argue that. Those are all great points. So last question before you let you go here, and I, I had to throw it in there. I know you're a diehard Bills fan, just like me, <laughs> and it's a and it's a big off season coming up. What what would you like to see the Bills do? Uh, your beloved Bills do here uh, moving forward for the 2021 season? Well, again, I would have said my answer would have been different a week ago if you had me on because I would have said JJ Watt, and I thought it was a <laughs> legit shot. I, I honestly, I, I'm not going to say that I thought he was going there. If, if, if I were a betting man, I would have put money on the Packers, especially you know as a Wisconsin guy. Uh, you know, born and raised, let alone college and everything else. I thought for sure he was going to go to the pack. And I know somebody else on our airwaves, can't remember who it was, but so, somebody made the comparison and I'm sure others, many others have probably said it. It was, it was, 
it, it, it harkened back or was almost akin to for a lot of people the uh, the move that Reggie White made from going to Philadelphia to, to Green Bay. And, and a lot of people felt, felt that maybe his best days were behind him with the Eagles. And suddenly he just looked like a new man yet again and was as dominant with the pack, at least for a couple of seasons, a few seasons. Uh, so I thought JJ would have been going there, but I, I did think Buffalo was 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 right there in the mix. Um, beyond beyond that, now that it's you know not happening with him going to Arizona, um, I think the defense showed it was pretty damn good in the second half of the year, and they started to figure things out, and 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 yep. was pretty good for for at least the first portion of the uh, the postseason. Uh, you know, maybe not the last game. Um, the running game probably still stands out more than anything, and and I'm not sure that there is a stud running back available that that is not going to cost you a ton that could truly step in and make the biggest difference uh or if it is best to just stick with what you have and hope for the internal improvement and 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 the chemistry and cohesion that exists but i i still just look at that run game and say you got the quarterback you've got the stud receiver and a hell of a receiving core overall you got a pretty damn good line for the most part i'm talking offensive line and as i say you flip yeah. it onto the defensive side the line the secondary i'm i'm, I'm pretty happy with the linebackers like you know yeah i'm 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 good with what they got so if there's one piece yeah i, I keep coming back to like is is singletary going to be the guy is moss really going to be the guy or do you need to have an upgrade there the, the the tough thing is though who is that upgrade what is that upgrade yeah. and and does it exist and so i i don't know but that's that's the one that i'm still kind of kind of hedging my bets on a little bit yeah, they just don't have – it seems like they don't have that home run hitter, right? Mm-hmm. The guy that you can hand the ball off to and, bam, next thing you know, he's 60, 70 yards, you know, either with a touchdown or down right. the field, and, and you've just got that one. And so, how much would that change the offense if they had it, though, too? I mean, do you want to be taking the ball out of the hands of, of – and out of, off of the Josh arm Allen. of Josh Allen? Do you want yeah. to be taking touches away from 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 Diggs and from Beasley? And, from, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's yeah. it's that's I guess that's – Again, that's why we're sitting here talking about it because <laughs> I, I don't yeah, know what the best answer is. Yeah, it's tough for Bean and McDermott. It's like they're they're trying to switch a witch's cauldron and and you know the witch's brew and and make that perfect sample when what they've got going right now is pretty darn good. So, well, Eric, I appreciate you coming on. We appreciate your time. I'll make sure all of our listeners are checking out Smith and Jones weekdays from one to two on Sportsnet five ninety The Fan. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time and uh, best of luck with you and the Raptors and all your calls. We'll be listening along um, throughout the rest of the season. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Well, it was nice to uh, finally land Eric Smith, play-by-play voice of the Raptors, uh, to get on this podcast. We've been trying out for a month, so it's good to have him aboard. Dutch, what would you think? Yeah, I'm sorry I missed it. I, I really wanted to uh, to chat with him, but it was uh, it was definitely a good interview. And of course, <laughs> sure, you had to get your uh, your Buffalo Bills talk in with uh, with him at the end, which I thought was kind of cool. But you know what I also liked about it was uh, just this open candidacy about you know he, he threw a you know I got to give you the cheese ball stock answer. Uh, in other words, uh, the bullshit answer. And like you said, you should have said it's okay to swear on the G and D podcast, but. Um, you know, with all due respect, uh, he was pretty bang on, uh, Jinch. He, he talked about just how messed up this season is, how, how, how crazy it is, I believe, just in pro sports in general. But for the Raptors, you know, beating a dead horse. But the fact that they're on the road constantly, um, it's got to play with them. I mean, you've got to give these guys a pass no matter what. I said to you before that they would have been 500 going into the all-star break and, and look where they ended up um, 17 and 19. Um, I believe that's their record. Uh, yep. And you know what? Those last couple of games was all because of COVID. And now yeah. look what Brooklyn's running into, just like he said. And uh, it, we'll, we'll see how things roll. Um, 
I don't know. It was, it was a great interview, and uh, and I and I and I liked him being open and honest about uh, you know where he saw the, the the state of the Raptors. Yeah, and he's he's voiced that um, even on, on his show as well that he wants he wants to see this team play it out with Lowry on the on the squad, and then kind of really evaluate it from there and and see if you can uh, re-sign Lowry maybe for one last season or uh, add to the to the young core. And uh, I know that's kind of the way that, that he would like to see it go, but it'll be interesting to see what Masai and Bobby Webster decide to do here moving forward. Speaking of the NBA, let's uh, let's get into a little NBA chat. we got no rapid fire tonight. We're just going to touch on a couple quick topics and then get, sure. into, our, uh, get into our golf. We've got our uh, Who's the Goat segment and a review of Arnold Palmer Invitational and, and on to Sawgrass. But, um, Dutch, I wanted to touch on something here, and I, and I mentioned it in the interview with Eric. Is this not great? Is this not a retro Eastern Conference right now? We've got the New York Knicks, we got the Miami Heat, we got the Char- we got Charlotte, we've got Boston, the Boston Celtics. You know, this is your dad's Eastern Conference. I feel like I'm back with with uh, Ewing and all these guys, and it, it's looking like the old school East used to look like. Well, you just actually took the words out of my mouth. I mean, I watched a ton of this ball with with my dad, and and I remember those years so vividly watching the games, and it's nice. Um, it, it's a little different feel that that it's not the Bangham Bruesome uh, style that we grew up watching. Um, however, it, it's nice to see a you know a, a different flair in there. I, I like what what's happening. Uh, I wish there was a little bit more toughness in there. I hope that the playoffs will bring that way. Maybe they're just trying to get this season done. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, any of those teams that you think you know, are standing out to you. I know we talked about the Knicks a little bit, but what do you like about that without, you know, there's no big man anymore. So there's no Ewing and, and Alonzo, like you said, and that, but it's still a pretty cool, uh, it's, still, it's pretty cool to watch what's going on. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, you know, I, thinking about the question that I asked Eric about, you know, is there anybody from four to 11? Because they're all really so close. They're all within, mm-hmm. a, I think, a game and a half to two games as yep. we, as we exit this all-star weekend here. And the team, you know, Miami's the obvious pick because of what happened in the bubble last year. But yeah, and and I don't I don't want to be the homer, but but I just like I said, and I was trying to get him to to, to answer it, but he but he just kept going back to the COVID, and and you know, he just doesn't know what's going to happen. But if I think if this Raptors team can get healthy, like I said, you got two against the Pistons, two against the Bulls, three against the Cavs two against the Hawks and two against the Wizards. These are all subpar teams that the Raptors should just beat up and bang up here. Um, you know, you're looking at that, that that's 11 games right there. You win 10 of those. It, there's only 30 some odd game, 36 games left here, I believe. Um, so, you know, you win, you got 26 more games, you win another 10 or 11 of those. And next thing you know, you're 22 and 14 and you're probably in that four seed, I would imagine five seed at worst moving into the playoffs. So I think, I think the heat and the Raptors are really the two teams to watch. I think the Knicks are still young. They play good defensive ball, but they're still a bit young. I think to make a push. I couldn't agree more. I think the fourth seed is definitely obtainable by the Raptors, which, you know, nobody's going to want to play the Raptors, no matter, no matter what way you look at it. I mean, listen, the pedigree, the playoff pedigree, championship material, they can win a series, maybe even two. Uh, who knows what happens? I don't know if they, they can quite beat a, you know, a, a Brooklyn, like you said, or, or if, a, if a, 
76er team that's that's healthy. I know we beat them before, but you know, I, real quickly before we flipped Anna and CAA, you know, I, I just wanted to talk about the team that we talked about on the other side. Um, right before the season started and, and that's those phoenix suns oh you know? come on the phoenix listen no listen they've won 13 out of their last 15 and and you know what besides devin booker carrying them i mean they're they've got their pieces are starting to fall in place and jay crowder's playing unbelievable he's been a great addition to their team i know you never liked deandre Ayton, but he's balling obviously chris floor chris paul's being a good general and you can't knock um, Mikel Bridges either. I mean, he's averaging close to 14 points a game. I really like the way that team's running. And if they can stay, you know, fresh, uh, yeah, okay, maybe they can't beat either of the L.A. teams. But um, I, I think they can beat Utah, and I think they can they can make some noise in the playoffs if they keep this run going. I just wanted to throw that out there because I really like their makeup and, and good for Chris Paul for, uh, for sticking it out. Yeah, you know what? The West is shaping up nice. When I, when I looked at it last night, the the thing that popped out to me right off the hop, right off the hop was old versus new, like you said you got you got Donovan Mitchell you got Devin Booker against LeBron and those Lakers and Kawhi and the Clippers yep. like it's it's that old versus new, then the rest it's the same as kind of the East you you throw them into a hat and you you pick out five through five through ten really in yep. that West side and they can kind of mumble and jumble up in any sort of way when they get to seating come playoff time but. I think it's those kind of four teams, and I think eventually we'll get down to some of these young guns against the likes of LeBron and the big boys, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see if they can, uh, you know, put their mark on it and, and make their stamp here in the NBA, or if it's going to be another year of uh, what we've had for the last fifteen to twenty years, and that's LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, true. I hope not. I mean, it's it's always it always seems to roll down the way, but I, I really do hope not. Um, and NCAA, we're less than a week away now from your favorite. You know, ne- next to obviously a, a Bills Super Bowl. You know, this is your favorite time of the year, your favorite uh, tournament, your everything you 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 live for these next four weeks. And uh, there was more upsets this weekend. And and you know what? I hate to tell you this, but but your 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 conversation about these all of those big nut teams uh, don't look now, but. You know, look at the biggest upset this weekend, which was yesterday. Number two, your your team, you picked to go, I think, all the way. Uh, Michigan, losing them, who knows? Michigan State, and they just won't go away. They're gonna make the they're gonna make the dance. Yeah, you were right about Duke, uh, and if Duke gets in, let's just, uh, that'll be a travesty. Um, and we'll 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 get into that because I'll I'll snap show if they get in. That'll just go back to that old bullshit powerhouse conferences. But you know, FSU losing again. Uh, you know, Villanova loses to Providence, which is there's another team. And Ohio State loses again. And they're going to fall out of the top 10. Or if they already haven't fall out of the top 10, I didn't see the rankings come out. But um, crazy times going on. I'm pumped. I got a few teams. But but tell me about your thoughts on it. And then I'll give you a few of my kind of sleeper teams. And then uh, and then we'll we'll flip it into golf. Yeah, we're, uh, we're two years out from the last March Madness. So I am absolutely jonesing every day that goes by. Um, it gets closer and closer. The conference tournaments are starting. They've already started. We've already had uh, buzzer beaters. Liberty with a buzzer beater to get into the NCAA tournament. So it's already started. The madness has begun. Um, but you, you hit the nail on the head. Ohio State's going to fall outside of the top 10. Three straight losses, MSU, Iowa, Illinois. Two of those, the last two at home. Um, just a Just a bad finish for the Buckeyes to start. They're going to fall down to that two or three mark. 
in terms of, I think, I think the top eight are, are pretty much locked in. I, I don't see the conference tournaments um, really affecting it too much unless the likes of um, Arkansas or FSU or a Villanova can win one of these tournaments. I think you're, or, or Kansas as well. Uh, I think you're locked in. I think you see Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, and Illinois with their strong finish, uh, winning three in a row over some uh, quad one, as they would say, quad one wins um, as the number one, as the top seeds. And then your number two, I think it's locked in as well. I think it's Iowa, Alabama, Houston, and uh, West Virginia. And the only way West Virginia falls off that line is if Kansas can win the Big 12 tournament. So I I think those ones and twos are are truly locked in. I don't think much is going to change this week. It'll be interesting to see um, if any of these bubble teams, i.e. Duke or Michigan State, it always happens. There's one or two that win these conference tournaments and, and get themselves in there without the help of the committee and bump out another team. So there's some really good teams um, on the bubble right now, Syracuse, Duke, Utah state, Xavier, a bunch of these teams um, are to watch for this week as they enter into their conference tournaments. I want to hear a couple of your sleepers. Yeah. Um, I agree with you in those, those top eight. Um, I'm actually excited to watch, even though they're 18 point favorites tonight, I'm excited to watch the Gonzaga Bulldogs. They've been off for a while and uh, they got St. Mary's tonight. So I'm going to be watching that game as we uh, record on a, on a Monday night here, but here's a few teams to watch that I think during, uh, you know, it's really during the conference championships. If they get on a roll, they could be a factor and that's, uh, Virginia out of the ACC, um, you know, I, I, I think they, if they have a, a good run here, um, look out for them in the tournament. The, uh, the Shockers of Wichita, the Wichita State Shockers out of the American Athletic Conference, I really like them. And a couple dark horses. I'm going with Wright State from the Horizon Conference. I love them, 18-6. and six. And Southern Utah, that's just remember that, folks, 19-3. and three, And they're from the Big Sky Conference. Nobody knows what conference that is. But look out. I think that they're going uh, to be a force, and they may win a couple rounds and take this, uh, take this deep and shock the world. Well, don't forget, we're two years out. The, those Virginia Cavaliers are, are the defending March Madness champions. They are. That's why I got right? them in there, not as my sleeper, but as a, uh, you know, I just, you know, they had a, they had a good weekend. Um, they had a good weekend that, that just passed. And, and I think that if, if they can take down, I, they, they're eight, the ACC, um, uh, we'll call it uh, first out of that division right now or out of that conference. So if they, if they can win the, the tournament, look out. Uh, they'll be ready. They'll be, a, they'll be a force as well. Yeah, and I'll add one more in there for you. We were talking off air last night, and that is the currently, I believe, going into this week. And like I said, I haven't seen the updated rankings tonight. Uh, usually come out a little bit later here, but and that's uh, the 21 ranked Loyola Illinois team. They were at a Final Four run in 2018. Listen, they've got six seniors, three redshirt seniors, and four juniors. This is a veteran squad that's played together. A lot of these kids. Um, went on that final four run together. Some had more bigger roles than other others, but um, you know what? I like them. I think they can make a big time run. They're 21 and four this year. They've got two Canadian boys, one from Edmonton, one from Hamilton. So they're a fun team for us Canadians to follow along in the tournament. And uh, they'll be there. Um, I would say on the second weekend, but it's a little bit of an interesting setup. So um it will be, I guess, the second week we shall say with the uh, with the new March Madness format. So yeah, and they're gonna and they're gonna come in probably like a four or five seed uh, is what you kind of predicted, right? And I, I kind of like them out of that spot. I I, I think that they uh, they could do some damage. I love that pick. Uh, hopefully the listeners are paying attention because it'll be fun coming down the down the stretch. 
No doubt. No doubt. Well, now, now it's time. Now it's time. I got to settle the air here after a, after a tough week for Ginger on his uh, last week's top five, top five current NHL forwards. I'm sticking by it. I still haven't changed my mind after a week of getting ripped on social media across the board. I still don't have him in the top five. I'm not going to change my mind. <laughs> I'm not changing my mind. He's still he's moved up from nine to seven. But okay, that's, a, that's about it. That's where I got him. There's just too many good teams, and I'm not moving guys out because of injury. And that's what I'm sticking to it. So let's. All right. Move- well, hopefully you have hopefully you have better golf picks because I know some of our uh, our golf reps and uh, um, listeners. Uh, they're excited to hear if you're going to just pull a tomfoolery and, you know, take like a Rory Sabatini or something like that out of this. <laughs> oh, on the top, on the top five. Yeah. I can't wait to hear what you got. <laughs> oh no, I'm not pulling a top. No, come on now. I'm not going to put Daniel Berger in the top five. Okay. Good, good, good. So, good. Although he does have a case. He is in my top 10 currently, but yeah, he, I got uh, him as an honorable man. I haven't has him an honorable mention for sure. Um, how do you want to go? Where do you want to start? You start, you start. Okay, I'll do it. Uh, I'll, I'll rip through them real quick because I'm sure we have a couple of the same, so I kind of want to hear what your argument are. I'm going to just start right off with honorable mentions. You know what? I got Tyrell Hatton, Victor Hovland, Xander Shoffley, although, you know, it, he would have been in my top five, but he just doesn't know how to win. Um, and, and everybody's uh, favorite, uh, Patrick Reed. Those are kind of my honorable mentions. So let's start with number five, and that's the big Spaniard, John Rom. Two wins couple of second place finishes you know 130 he's had 13 top 10 finishes uh in the last 15 months uh so i got him in there as uh, as number five number four and his last 30 events coming out as a rookie he's had three wins including a major at the pga championship he's also just recently which we all know won the wgc event 10 top 10 finishes as well as the second place and that's none other than Colin Morikawa, future superstar, might win another major this year. Number three, this is where we may be different. Last 27 events, he's had three wins, including a WGC, no majors, but he's had 14 top tens, three seconds, two thirds, and I know he's due for a major, and that's Justin Thomas. And I had to make a little switcheroo, and the reason why is because we all saw the show. We all saw the, 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 the bombs, as Mickelson would say, those long drives all weekend long. By my number two, 23 starts. He's had three victories, including the U.S. Open, 12 top tens, including a second-place finish at a WGC event. He tied for fourth at the PGA Championship. He is unbelievable right now. Five top five finishes out of his top twins, uh, top 12 tens, I should say his uh, top 10, uh, 12 starts, Bryson DeChambeau. Number one, easy. I don't need to explain anymore. He's the top of the shop. 20 starts, four wins. We talked about him a month and a half ago. He's had 11 top tens, and that's DJ. He's just absolutely on top of the world. And look for him to shine this week, even though he's not in my picks. So you don't have t- Patrick Reed in your, in your top uh... – your top five. Nope. I actually had Patrick Reed as number six, uh, and that was respectfully. And I worked my way down. Uh, as I said, I had Xander Shoffley at about eight. I had Hovland at seven. I had Cantley as well up there. But I just couldn't put Reed in there um, based on the numbers that I just spit out to you. I think you're crazy. I think you're crazy. So so I'll go with my honorable mentions, and then, then we'll get into it. 
honorable mention goes to Webb Simpson. Two wins uh, in 2020, four top uh, 10s in 2021, 12 top 10s in the last two years in 22 events. He's got a major. Webby Simpson, I give an honorable mention. I had him in there around that 7-8 slot. Yep. Our lists are fairly close. We changed it around. But I, I had the Spaniard just out. I had him at number six. Number five, four major championships, one win in 2021, four top 10s, seven top 10s in 2020, 11 top 10s in 22 events in the last 15 months. The fifth best player on the PGA Tour right now currently, Rory McIlroy. Then I went to number four. And you can call him a cheater. You can call him whatever you want, but a WGC victory, a farmer's victory, the reigning Masters champion, 11 top 10s in 28 um, in his last 28 events, one win here in 2021 in eight events, three top 10s, eight top 10s last year, nine wins total. Nobody likes him, but all the guy does is perform the fourth best golfer on the PGA Tour currently, and that's Patrick Reed. And then our top our top three were pretty close. I know you had Morikawa uh, switched there at down to four, but I went Morikawa at three. Like you said, the kid's a superstar. Um, not much to talk about here. There's more majors to come, more victories to come. Number two is Bryson. And number one, how could you not have uh, have DJ, right? Like the, the stats are unreal. You've, you've listed them off. The, the defending, uh, or sorry, Reed was the last year's Masters champion. Dustin is the defending champion. Uh, Correct. FedEx, yep. FedEx, uh, FedEx Cup champion, Northern Trust Travelers, won the Tour Championship. The the thing that that I, that gets me about Dustin is also is the second place finishes. Like he's just what he had two seconds in twenty twenty on top yep. of his three victories and fourteen events, seven top tens, and already in twenty twenty one in six events he's won once and one second, four top tens. Like he's he's just always there. He's the best golfer in the world, hands down, no questions asked. Two majors, Dusty Johnson's my number one, Bryson number two, Morikawa number three, Reed number four. And Roy McIlroy, number five. I'm shocked that you don't have JT in there. And I guess you can make the argument for, for you know, the quality of wins maybe. Uh, I, I just, I wasn't sold on Rory. And it's not that I didn't want to give him my honorable mention because he's in my top 10. But um, I like some of those other lesser names there. And um, I, I just didn't think Rory right now in these last, the, the, the last stretch there, he just really hasn't performed well and maybe i'm looking a little bit too current um and we won't argue about what current is because i did look it up in the dictionary and you were wrong on that but i'll give you it for this i'll give you it for this one. no I'll, I'll give you it for this one and i'll give you it for this one uh, on it um i just didn't feel he was there but um i think our listeners will uh will have a good convo on that um whether they'll agree on some of them or not and it's really hard you could you could have mixed and matched it a few more in there as well uh yeah, based no, on no some Ke- of these starts kepka you could have kept in there. I know he's been hurt a lot, but yeah, um, there's another guy. Here, here's my thing on JT. It's been almost it's been almost twelve full full months since that last victory, right? It's been okay. all he was he was hot early in 2020, and hasn't he's just fizzled. He's just fizzled. Um, I think one top ten here in 2021. He's just kind of fizzled out. And Hovland, Hovland, I love Victor Hovland. I got him in that same category as Morikawa. But the you mentioned it, the quality of wins. The Puerto Rico Open, no offense to buddy, anybody playing in the Puerto Rican Open because they can sure as hell kick mine in your ass, that's for sure. But it's not a WGC. It's not a Farmers. You know, you win Puerto Rico and you win Mayakoba, 
that's not those are victories. I'm never taking that away from you, but those aren't top notch victories. Those aren't those aren't the masters. Those aren't the farmers. That's not the WGC. That's what Patrick Winry Reed. Yeah, did. but he but, wins but big all, tournaments. But in, all, in all fairness, though, JT won a WGC in the last 15 months. He and he had, as I said, when I said my stats out, 14 top tens at a 27 starts. You, you, you can't knock that. And out of those starts, like I said, you can't knock it. Three second place finishes and two third place finishes. That means and those including three wins. So that's eight, eight events. That's that's more than a quarter of his events. He's been third or better. That's kind of why I had him in my uh, up there and why I had him up so high. Um, I, I hemmed and hawed with putting him um, below Morikawa. But you know what? Morikawa just has to continue to keep uh, proving that he's there. And if if a guy like Cantley can start to win uh, this, this whole board will shake up by the end of next year. Yeah, and I think, you know, if, if you morph this conversation into, you know, their whole career, you know, we, we might have these guys in a little bit of a different order. But yeah. I, think, I think you're right. I think with, with Hovland and JT and Rom and, and uh, the likes of Cantley and Berger, their next step is major championships, right? Like yep. that, that's yep. going to be their next step. Like, you know, Rory's got four majors. Dusty's got two, a couple. Uh, yep. Bryson's got one. Morikawa's got one. Reed's got one. So I think for me, I give a, a little bit, even though it's it's not current, but it's 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 I I I just tend to gravitate towards those majors. And I know Rory. You know, people are going to say, "Well, Rory hasn't won a major in five years." Like I get it. Yeah. I, I understand that. But he's still won it. He's still the an upper upper echelon golfer. And I think it's coming soon. I think he's going to find another one here. Um, I think Rom's going to find one too. And I hope I hope. Justin Thomas does because uh, you know it, it, I just don't want to have that conversation with him about you know it, yeah down the road hey you know was it a great career he, he didn't do this he didn't do that he didn't win this he didn't win that so yeah yeah no I agree well that, you know that was fairly easy I thought we were going to get into it there but you know what uh, that it, it, the the proof was in the pudding wasn't it when you started to do look at the numbers and the and some of the metrics that we were looking at. It, it, it kind of spelt out for us. I I felt after yeah, and golf being it. an individual sport, golf with with golf being an individual sport, it's a little easier to pick and not get into too uh, too many arguments. So that was a good uh, a good exercise. Well done, and uh, you know, let's talk uh, let's talk Bay Hill. And what do you know? The Dutchman strikes again, buddy. Winner, winner, winner. And as you say, chicken dinner. Ah, there hey, we go. Bryson DeChambeau, nine nice straight pick. weeks. Yeah, nine straight weeks where we've we've cast some sort, and uh, it's been great. Listen, thirteen to one, uh, we had a an absolute solid solid session again. Six for six with our picks. Uh, three guys in the top ten. Uh, four Harris guys. English. Four guys. Get four guys in the top. Sorry, 10. sorry, sorry, sorry. Three guys plus the winner. Yes, yep. and then uh, and then English as well at t twenty six. So, I mean, we couldn't have done any better. I mean, and those conditions were extremely tough. I think there was only four guys that broke par on. Uh, on Sunday, I could be wrong on the number, but the lowest score on Sunday was one under. So, um, yeah, well done, uh, great picks, and I can't wait to hear what you got to say about uh, you know about the players' championship. We all love it. Um, it's it's been a while. This was one of the very first tournaments that um, was was axed due to the pandemic. So you're looking at the defending champ, which is Rory McIlroy from 2019. Yeah, and, and you know, to to tie a bow on the uh, on the. The uh, Arnold Palmer Invitational. The English shot just too many. They were yep. they just dominated. You know, um, they did. You include did. you include Rory in there. You know, as a de facto, I know he's he's Irish, but um, nine of nine 
in the top 36. That's one in every four golfers. It just they they just tend to gravitate to that tournament and absolutely dominated. Great finish by our Canadian local boy from List Owl Golf Club. That's Corey Connors. Well done, Corey. Great finish. Good grind. Uh, not what you wanted on 17 and 18, but hey, uh, hell of an eagle on 16 to make that push. Yeah, it was fun to watch. And and back to your English, uh, yeah, your English comment. You're right. This is right about when they start to come over because I would argue that as much as you know, I felt bad that Westwood couldn't pull uh, pull it off. Uh, you know, going up against the animal. The this is right when they all start to come over and and now play full time on on the on the PJ. If they were doing this on a regular basis, I, I'd argue you'd see that on a more regular basis with these guys and and maybe some more um, some more tournaments from all of them. There's just so many of them, and that's why they 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 dominate. You know, the last well, not all of them, but why they're so solid in a Ryder Cup because they're uh, they just got tons of talent on that side. No doubt, no doubt, the best golfing country other than the U.S. Yep. Well, let's let's turn to Sawgrass, and and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna hand it over to you because I've actually I've uh, reached out to uh, a colleague of mine, or uh, I shall say my brother, who you actually played Sawgrass Sawgrass with, and I I want to hear your take. He gave me uh, he gave me his take on on the golf course and and why the golf course is so tough. What uh, what were your thoughts on on going around the 18 holes at the uh, the famed Sawgrass? Yeah, it's one of the golf courses that, um, you know, everybody knows it, you know, way back from 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 video games when we were kids, it was always on there. And it was the course that I always dreamed about playing. And we talked about this way back when we first started this podcast. Um, I, I think it's still a tough test. It's, they haven't changed much of the golf course at all. Um, maybe lengthen it a tiny bit, but it's definitely a, a tough, tough test of golf, whether it's flat or not. Um, and those last three holes are just a uh, just killer, um, and they make for great theatrics. I loved it. Um, I won't tell you about the story on on the island green that I had because uh, that's just too long of a of a story. And how disappointed I was. Um, I put in a, a couple balls in the water, but um, it will definitely continue, and it'll always be a mainstay on the uh, the PGA. It's one of my favorite tournaments to watch, and I'm really, really looking forward to uh, to seeing it for sure this week. Yeah, Pete Dye design, and and the, you know, from my brother and another colleague of mine that I talked to, you know, talked about how how you know Pete did a a good job of using deception off the tee and into the greens to force you to play conservatively in spots where you don't necessarily need to play conservatively. Uh, you know, you kind of one of those where. Oh, I got to, I got to play out to the left or the right. And then you get out there and there's 30, 40, 50 yards wide of fairway that you could have hit the ball into. Right. So yep. he, he did a good job with that. And, and, you know, just has you playing defensive kind of all day long. Um, but a, a tough track, you know, we looked at concession and the, the rating and the, and the slope and we're right in that range again for, for those golfers out there that, that love to test their game. 76, four, um, rating and a 155 slope. So you want to get a tough golf course. Uh, ain't nothing tougher than the last three that we've played from Bay Hill to concession to now um, the TPC at Sawgrass. First stadium course design and uh, the 12th best public golf course in all of U.S. last year. So it's still ranked high. It still plays high and it's still looked upon uh, by the PJ Tour players as one of the best tracks to get to play all season. 
Yeah, and I love the par fives there too. I, I, I love the fact that we know pretty much every single hole. I can I can go through every hole from start to finish and know, you know, where the excitement can build up. And I love the fact that, you know, they're reachable, but yet they're risky, right? You look at 11, you look at 16, those two par fives pop in my head right off the bat. Those yep. are always, you know, challengeable holes. And, and 18's 18, and everybody, obviously, the island green is the island green, which, you know, can be won or lost at the tournament. But usually those final groups uh, um, up until I think it was a couple of years ago when it was a debacle but you know they've got it dialed in by then and you know depending on weather we'll see how uh, we'll see how it holds up but I'm looking for like a you know a, a anywhere from minus 11 minus 15 uh, I can't see it being any crazier than that no I think you're in the ballpark there quick, quick little tidbit that, that I found interesting only five two-time winners in this event um, Steve Elkington in 91 97 Davis Love 92 in 2003 Freddie Couples in 89 and 96 Tiger Woods in 01 and 13 and Hal Sutton be the right club today. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, interesting little stat because, you know, we talk about it all the time and, and a lot of our research, we one of the first things we look at is, you know, how is that player played? So this is the type of golf course that if you don't got your game in shape, it's going to, it's going to whip you up, chew you up and spit you out pretty quick, no matter uh, who you are and how good you are. Yep. No, for sure. No doubt. Well, why don't, with that said, why don't you lead us into your picks this week and then I'll, uh, I'll fire him off before we, uh, we head off to break. That sounds great. We'll start him from the bottom. Now we hear Dutch and I'm starting with a big dark horse. You know what? I was, I've been chirping some people about their picks uh, across the board, you know, and they're chirping me back saying, you know what? You guys are taking, you know, top 20, 25 players as your rock steady pick. It ain't hard to do that. Well, you know what folks, I found some value this week with my picks and I'm going deep into the well, the dark horse pick. Okay. 2017, he was 11, 2018 T 37, 2019. The last time they played, like you said, at Sawgrass T 26, 150 to one, 80 to one on an each way bet. He's showing good form Dutch 22nd at waste management, 11th in the Puerto Rico open and a quiet T 21 at Bay Hill last week. That's the Argentinian Emiliano Grillo as my dark nice. horse pick of the week. Nice. Okay. My rock steady pick. He's won here before, uh, way back. It's been a while, but um, 2016 T12, 2017 T6, 2018 T11, 2019 T12. He was, I believe, top 10 at Farmers T. T30 at Genesis, 66 to 1. He's a ball striker. If he can sink a few putts, he'll be there this week. 32 to 1 on the each way. And that's the Aussie, Adam Scott. As right on. My rock steady pick. And my big gun, I mentioned him as an honorable mention in uh, in my top, just outside of my top five. I believe I had him at seven or eight. 22 to 1, 10 to 1 on the each way. Um, T16 in 2017, he won here in 2018 and T16 in 2019. He hasn't been out of the top 16 in the last three years. He was T6 at uh, concession WGC a few weeks ago. I don't believe he played at the, uh, the API last week, took the week off. That is Webb Simpson as my big gun of the week, Webb Simpson. Yeah, he's a champ there. I like that. I like that pick. And I like your picks. And for all those listeners, uh, and last time I checked, anybody that can tell me that they pick, they can pick three people out of a hat when you've got a field of 150-ish on most occasions and, and cash out nine times in a row. 
Um, if I was playing with real money, I, I'd be rich right now. So anybody says it's easy to pick them and, and we're picking these guys. Come on, man. 25 to one. That's the, those odds are crazy. I mean, I don't care if they're, you know, top 10 in the, and it just shows you how hard it is to pick golf when the, the, the favorite this week is 11 to one. Yep. Okay. So, so favorite or no favorite, you go ahead and you want to pick the top three favorites and, and when they don't win. Yeah. Ha. Well, we'll see about that. So, uh, so I, I'd like to hear it straight up from them because because I got some funky picks this week. Uh, not because of that, but I got some funky picks. I didn't pick a uh, a superstar stud. Sure, a couple of my guys are superstar names, but they uh, they haven't done squat at all lately, except for one who's riding a hot horse right now. But I'm gonna start with my crazy dark horse, and I I had him picked. I told you on Friday, be this Friday, as I just started to see something with him. He's made three straight cuts, and I know he hasn't done anything. He hasn't won since 2018. He played last week. He finished T10 under the radar. I know he faded with a 78, but everybody else shit the bed uh, on the weekend yep. as well on Sunday. Okay, 2019 he was T16. 2018 he was T7, and 2016 he was T35. Keegan Bradley uh, at 140 to one. Sign me up right now. I've already put in a put a little bit of shekels on there at 140 to one. Yep, I love it. Get the twitches going, Dutch. Get a twitch going. That's it, buddy. That's it. Now my two picks are. I'm going to just call them both rock steady picks. Okay, one. I don't know how you can't go wrong right now. I know he hasn't won, but he's the hottest player right now, and it would be an awesome feel good story. Okay, his best finish here was T fourth, uh, which he finished the exact same this past week at Bay Hill. His hot streak right now is T4, T3, T15, T4. And at 25 to 1, I, I, I just think he's about to crack it. And that's Jordan Spieth, baby. And I'm I'm pumping pumping his tires. I'm hoping for him. Jordan Spieth to take it down. Ride that horse till she bucks you. Ride the horse till she bucks you. It worked this week with Bryson Ashambo, as I told you. So, you know what? We'll, like we'll, uh, we'll ride that one. And my other top dog... Um, is my top dog of the week and he's 43 to one. So I'm not taking a favorite this week. He was T eight in 2019 T five and 18. And he has won here in 2016. Jason day. I know he wasn't so solid this weekend, but I am ready to roll with Jason day. If he can hold up, he loves the Florida course. Boom. Book it. Daniel 43 to one. Love it. I love those picks. So some great value there for our listeners. So, um, good luck on that players championship. Good luck picking them. It's a great field. I believe 49 out of the top 50 are in there. So, um, enjoy the great golf course, great field at the players championship Dutch. Make sure, uh, all of us are following all the listeners on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ginger and Dutch one. We've got the live show coming up one week from today, talking all things NFL free agency. We just had Dak Prescott sign. Four years. Four years. That's right. When we get back from break, we're going to have uh, a little MLB breakdown with the old boy. I'll try to keep his cuss words to a minimum for you, Dutch, this week. Yeah, please do. Please do. Got to keep our reputation up. So make sure you're following us. Make sure you're listening. Pass it along to everybody. You know, give us a good review and we'll catch you on the flip side. You're listening to another episode of Excellence by Ginger and Dutch. All right, listeners, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed a little segment there from the Ginger and Dutch podcast. As we promised and we always deliver, we've got the old boy on. It's the start of our three-week MLB preview as we move closer to the start of the MLB season. We're going to start tonight with the East 
both Eastern divisions. That's the AL East and the NL East. Old boy, you on the line with us now? Yeah. How are you, big guy? Nice to hear you again. Nice to hear you again as well. Good, uh, always good to have you here. So, you're our uh, you're our go-to baseball guy here. So let's uh, let's get into it. We'll fire right in. We've been going hard here for uh, well over an hour now, so um, we won't waste too much more of our listeners' time. Let's start with the AL East. Uh, interesting division. I know it's a division for all of our listeners that uh, are going to play close attention to because of our beloved Blue Jays. But uh, a lot going on here. But I, I just keep coming back to the fact that. The elephant in the room is that New York Yankees squad, and and I just don't see that elephant going away anytime soon. I see them as the class of the division. What are your thoughts? Break it down for us, um, team by team. Let us know what your thoughts are. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I know how you like to work things here on the podcast. You like to kind of start from the bottom and work your way up. So let's let's do that. So, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's pretty obvious who's going to be at the bottom of this division. You know, at the end of the year, and that's probably going to be the Baltimore Orioles, right? I think, you know, relatively quiet off season for these guys. You know, they've continued to follow their plan of tanking and rebuilding through player development and scouting. And in terms of free agency and, and trades or whatnot during the offseason, you know, relatively quiet, right? You know, they signed our old fellow Blue Jay here, Freddie Galvis, to a one-year deal to replace uh, Jose Iglesias at short. But other than that, nothing real big. So I think for them, you know, there really isn't a whole lot to be excited about on that roster. Uh, I think, you know, of the current young kids in that squad, you know, Ryan Mountcastle had a good year for them last year. He's probably the most impressive of that current bunch. I think, you know, if you're Orioles front office staff, I think you're hoping that it's, you know, a combination of him, Anthony Santander, and Trey Mancini, who's coming back after being off with, you know, having to, you know, fight cancer, which is a great story for those of who haven't been following it. You know, there's probably, a, you know, the odds-on favorite for comeback player of the year. Um, I'm, I think they're probably hoping that's going to kind of form the middle lineup for years to come. Um, I think for me, if I'm looking at kind of if I'm an Orioles fan or a fan in general, you know, my number one question for that team this year is, you know, are we going to see Adley Rushman this year? You know, uh, the number one overall pick in the 2019 draft, like this kid's expected to probably start this season in double A, but, you know, he has it all, right? This is one of those generational type talents behind the plate, you know, power, plate discipline, defensive prowess. You know, I'm excited to see if he makes a jump this year. Uh, and if you're an Orioles fan, that's pretty much all you have to look forward to this year, I think, as well, right? So, I don't know, what are so your thoughts on the Orioles this year? Yeah, you're, you're not giving any hope. You know, after last year, 25 and 35, I know it was a short, uh, you know, shortened season at 60 games, but it, it was better than the year before at 54 and, and 108. Um, but you just don't see, like, what do you what do you got him at? I had him kind of at that 72 win mark. Um, are you lower than that, higher than that? What are you, what are you coming in? You know, I think it's going to really depend on what happens with the rest of the division because I think you like having your team play meaningful, meaningful ball games, you know, in August, in September. Even if it means that you're just kind of, you know, you're jostling for position, right? So if it means that you're, you know, if you're scrapping it out with whoever's sitting in fourth to try and, you know, you just want these kids to keep playing meaningful games, right, and get meaningful at bats. And, you know, you don't want to get to that routine of, you know, just never really playing competitive baseball and never giving these kids a shot to ever be, you know, kind of in somewhat of a spotlight for their development, right? So, I don't know. I like. I think that 70-75 win mark. You know, I'd be shocked if they get above that. They just they don't have the pitching as well. Too, we didn't even really get into their staff or their pitching in general. But they don't have the horses to compete with some of these big bats in this division, right? Like it's pretty top heavy. You know, even you know the Sox. I mean, got to get into them. But you know, everyone here has a pretty solid one to nine lineup, so they're going to be constantly tested, and they really don't have a ton of depth at pitching, right? So you know, I'd be shocked if they get above that seventy-five win mark this year. 
Well, well, let's flip over, and I I respect that, and I like the I like the breakdown. Let's flip over to those Red Sox because you know I talked about them on last week's podcast, um, and I just you know as the more research I do uh, on this team, I just don't see it coming together. I don't see enough of a staff there. Like, yeah, okay, you got you got Rodriguez coming back after the COVID scare. You got Evaldi, um, you got Garrett Richards, the veteran, but and and Barnes and and Adam Octaveno out of the uh, out of the bullpen, but. The, the lineup you talk about from one through nine, I see a couple danger spots for for visiting pitchers. But other than that, I, I like I wouldn't be surprised if the Orioles overtook the Red Sox and the Red Sox were last place in this division. Yeah, listen, I, I have the Sox in fourth to be honest with you. So I don't I don't think they're going to be in the conversation to win this thing this year. It was a really weird off season for the Red Sox. You know, I think you could probably make a case that the best and most significant move that they made was actually bringing back Alex Cora as the manager of this ball club, right? So, you know, for those that aren't big ball fans, you know, he did manage them a couple years back when they won that 2018 World Series. You know, he's well-liked, well-respected by the players' front office, and most importantly in Boston, he's well-respected by the fans, right? So, you know, it was a really weird season. No, or off-season, my apologies. No, no No real major player movement, no major free agent acquisitions. Like, this is usually a franchise where if there's a big fish out there, they're the ones making a splash for like a George Springer type, not not the Blue Jays, right? So, you know, you mentioned they brought in Garrett Richards and they brought in a couple other kind of bench platoon type guys like Hunter Renfro, yep. Marwin Gonzalez, Kiki Hernandez, but no real big impact bats, right? So, you know, I was actually talking with a friend of the show, the Bear, Chris Cochran, earlier this afternoon. And we were laughing, saying, can you believe that, like, you know, in 2018, they had that killer be outfield of Betts, Bradley and Ben Attendee. And now they're all gone. All right? gone. Two, three yeah. years. They're all gone, right? And I think that's going to be the, the real downfall for these guys. You mentioned that lineup. I think that's what you're talking about, right, is those corner outfield spots. Uh, this is the outfield in general. Like, where are they going to come up with that offensive production to go ahead and match with the big boys in this division? I just don't think they have it. I think the left side, I didn't feel with Devers and, and Bogarts, arguably still one of the best left sides in baseball. But other than that, you know, unless you're banking on a real big bounce back from J.D. Martinez and maybe, you know, a nice kind of, you know, season from Bobby Dalbeck, who's supposed to be this young hotshot power prospect yeah. they have. Other than that, I don't know, man. I, I'm not really bullish on these guys at all. I think it's going to be a rough year for for the guys in Beantown this year. Yeah, they, they just to me, they just need career years from from, too, like you said, too many of those guys, Christian Vasquez or a Bobby Dalbeck or Enrique Hernandez, they just need a, a bounce back from JD and they just need career years from, from three or four of those guys to even compete in my mind um, with the way that roster makeup is. Let's move over to me, one of, uh, over to the next squad. And one of the, I think it's one of the most interesting from year to year. And, and that's the race um, Yeah, from, from Mike Zanino at catcher and, and Yandy Diaz third base and, and obviously a, a power, pretty powerful uh, outfield. Are the race set up well again in your mind to uh, compete in this division and compete in the AL uh, for that AL championship? Well, you know, I'm going to kind of tease you a bit here and say that I don't actually have them sitting in third. I actually have them sitting a little bit further ahead here this year. I actually see them maybe landing in second spot. When it's all said and done, that's just because I'm, I'm sick and tired of constantly betting against these guys and always getting <laughs> burned, right? And this is just like a typical Tampa Bay offseason, right? You get to the World Series, and then you proceed to turn around and part ways with your two top starting pitchers, right? So, you know, gone is Blake Snell. Gone is Charlie Morton. Uh, they, You know, obviously they made that deal with Snell with the Padres and got a couple pieces back. And, you know, they lost Charlie Morton to the Braves uh, in free agency. 
but they replaced that production, you know, with a, you know, a decent handful of starting pitchers. You know, they brought back Chris Archer, they brought in Rich Hill, uh, Michael Walker and Colin yep. McCuff. So, you know, it's typical race, uh, race fashion, you know, they spent about 13 and a half million bucks on those four guys. And then here are the Braves are paying 15 bucks a year for, uh, for Morton, right? So this shows you, right. They think they can go ahead and get, you know, four guys that can kind of come in and, and give you some type of production similar to what they lost. And, you know, I just have a hard time betting against these guys, man. I, you know, listen, I'm excited to see, you know, full season from uh, Randy Rosarena, you know, the postseason hero from last year, you know, that kid's come in and already looks like he's having a pretty good strong spring here. I think they're going to find a way to be relevant. They always do, right? They're well-managed. They have one of the smartest front offices in baseball, right? Um, They're going to be there. They're going to be hanging around and they're going to find a way to scratch and claw, whether it be, Using that opener or whatnot, they're gonna they're gonna be hanging around for sure. Yeah, what do you think about them? Yeah, I just I just it's the same old. It's like you said, they they just find ways. You, you look at the lineup from G Man Choi to you know Brandon Lowe. It's just guy, it, not household names and not guys that you're you're gonna that'll blow your blow your mind or go okay, that's a, that's a big lineup and this and that and you know Austin Meadows and Manuel Margot and the list goes on and on and they bring these guys in from year to year and. It's just the, always seems to be the same result. Like they're they're starting to remind me a little bit of the Patriots, where it's just plug and play, plug and play, plug and play, and and they got the system, they've got the organizational structure, they've got the coaching to be able to just find these guys and and fit their system and and make it work. Yeah. No. Listen, man, it, it's pretty amazing. Like they, uh, you know, I guess if you're looking, if you're you know kind of a neutral, you want to kind of watch more race games. I guess you're hoping that maybe they call up Wander Franco, right? Like this guy is arguably considered to be the number one prospect in all of baseball. Um, you know, he just turned 20 on March 1st. He's still a young kid. Um, let's see if he shows up. I think like you know they have a deep farm system. They got guys waiting to come up, right? So now it's all about you know service time manipulation, all the other crap that gets you know tossed around in baseball. But I think they're going to be relevant. Um, they're going to figure a way to make it work. And I think you're going to see guys who, you know, like you said, production out of nowhere, and they're going to find a way to hang around and, and win ball games and be, you know, north of 500 playing meaningful ball in September. I love it. I love it. Well, let's go on. Let's get an objective view from the old boy. Yeah. On our hometown Toronto Blue Jays, because you start to stack this lineup and, and, you know, the only spot I really see that that might be weak from, from the bat side is unless they, these two guys have a decent year. Cause by the sounds of it, they may platoon, and that's Jansen and Kirk. But, you know, you start to throw in Telez and Vladdy and Simeon and Bouchette and Biggio and Springer and Hernandez and Guriel and Gritchick. And, you know, that's a one through nine. That's a that's a pretty scary lineup to try to get through day in and day out. And I know the Yankees got some some good a good staff and, I you know, with the opener with the Rays. And I know they got some good pitchers, but. That's a that's a good lineup for this Toronto Blue Jays team, and I know I know the staff's got some question marks, but do you think offensively it can carry them for 162 games, or do you, do you think this staff is going to need to show up somewhere? You know, the lights of Mats or Ray, um, you know Tanner Roark, somebody's got to come up and be that number two starter, or this this team could get in a little bit of trouble if those bats don't stay hot. No, yeah, no. Listen, you're this is the number one question for everyone, right? Is whether or not that the pitching can match this lineup, right? If they can match the hitting that's, you know, scheduled to be out there every day, one to nine. I think, listen, man, I have one in the division. I, I think, and I, and I, and I, this isn't a homer play. This is me just looking at things like objectively and saying to myself, there's enough holes in that Yankee team. We can kind of get into it next. But 
I love this Jay squad, man. I think obviously there's questions, you know, in that in that starting staff. Um, I think it really comes down to two guys. If the Jays are going to win the division series, two guys are going to have to step up and be who we thought they would be. Nate Pearson. Nate Pearson has to yeah. be healthy. He has to show you he can pitch an entire season, or at least be at least be healthy and productive for the entire season and give you whatever it is, you know, 25, 30 starts. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be on a pitch count if we're even going to get that far, but obviously it's not starting out on a good foot, right? The guy has a, you know, I think he has a, a minor groin pull right now. And, groin, yep. You know, you, you like to see him kind of get into a good routine, get his innings in, get that arm strength up because the kid's explosive. He has all that swing and miss stuff. They need him to be that number two guy. And I think inside, and I think, you know, you could talk about Robbie Ray and, you know, listen, Robbie Ray not too long ago was, you know, was an all-star. He was, you know, significant pitcher in Arizona. If he can rebound and kind of rediscover, you know, that some of that, you know, that pedigree, Arizona, you know, maybe you got a guy, but I think it's, it's, it's the two kids. It's Pearson and it's baby Vladdy and his, you know, 40 pound reduction. If baby Vladdy can take that next step and be a legitimate, you know, 350 OBP, 30 home run, 100 RBI type guy, and really help kind of lengthen the power throughout that lineup. Watch out, man. I think at that point, there, it really doesn't matter what happens. They're going to go out there and win these ball games, like, you know, eight, seven, whatever it may be. You know, they're just going to have to, you know, just beat you on the scoreboard, right? Is what it's going to come down to is by, you know, through the long ball or whatnot, right? It's, I don't know, man. I, I'm actually super excited. Even like Marcus Sidney, we even talked about him, but you know, this guy's you know a couple years away for a couple. You know, I think it was what he hit thirty something home runs a couple years back for Oakland. Like, and it's yep. also what he does to that defense, right? He's going to allow them to hopefully have you know better infield D now by slotting Bijou to third, bringing Vladdy over to first. You know, you leave Bo at short, and then you have him at second uh, with that versatility. So Montoya's going to have tons of versatility in that lineup. I just feel like they have so many backup plans. Or like, even if a Springer got hurt or whatnot, you got Gritchick. Like they got so much depth there. I, I just I think this is going to be the year, man. I really do. Uh, it's it's a shame that we can't be there watching them play because I think they're going to be right there, and I think they're going to end up winning this division this year. Ah, I just don't know. I I had them coming in at eighty six and seventy six. I, I just too many question marks two through five on on the staff for me. And, and I know you, you get what you get with Robbie Ray. He's he's gonna strike out some batters. He's gonna walk a lot of batters. He's not an innings eater. Like he he's gonna be you know the three four five innings for you. To me, the guys Mats Mats and Pearson are the two guys on the staff. I yeah. think you gotta find a way to get get those guys like you said productive. Get them up into the you know one one forty one fifty one sixty seventy eighty. Uh, innings pitched if you can and if they can stay healthy over you know 30 to 35 starts you got a shot so you got the you, you know what you need in. man you need ra dickie you need like you need like a couple guys type production where it's like an era of like high threes low fours but they're gonna at least give you innings right you're gonna go out every day and they're gonna yeah. give you six innings of you know of three run ball and they're gonna keep you in the game you know what i mean like that's all you're looking for i don't need an ace production yep. i just need them to give you innings and, and, and some quality starts that's what you're looking for right so that's yeah. right well let's finish up the the al east with with the yankees and and uh you teased us here so you talked about the rays being in that number two spot spot and you talked about the jays winning this division which tells me that you've got this powerful new york yankees squad with the star ridden lineup in third place in the al east is that correct you I do. I just feel like there's just too many questions here on both sides. Um, 
you know, listen, let's start with their with their part with their uh, starting pitching staff. You know, like obviously everyone knows they have that ace in Garrett Cole. The guy's a horse. He's arguably one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. But I think for me, where there starts to be concerns, and we can we just talked about the Jays rotation, and you know, for me to say I have more concerns about the Yankees, I think it just comes down to you know, so you go out, you add. Corey Kluber to you know a one year deal. Yeah, you go ahead and you make a trade with the Pirates for Jamison Tyon, um, but together yep. those two guys have combined to pitch one major league inning. 2019. Okay, so that's your second and third option most likely. They haven't pitched in almost two years. Okay, and then you go let's let's take the next step back. You know, you look at somebody like Jordan Montgomery who's expected to be you know Montgomery right. Yeah. He hasn't pitched a full big league season since 2017. You got Luis Severino coming back, you know, probably sometime in the middle of summer off Tommy John surgery. And then you have a guy like Domingo German who hasn't pitched since September of 19. You know, MLB suspension around domestic abuse. So there's tons of holes there, man. Tons of holes. At least with the Jays, you know, you got guys who are supposed to be there, pitched last year. They're probably going to be there. They may not. They don't have the same upside as some of those Yankee guys. I'm just not fully convinced those Yankee guys are going to be around. I just I think they're they're going to end up probably having to make either make a big deal and bring in someone like I don't know Luis Castillo out of Cincinnati or you know German Marquez out of Colorado where they see like they're blowing things up right now. Thing, but I have a bad feeling that May or June. And the New York press is going to be all over them. And they're going to be getting beaten up in the tabloids because they can't find a way to get, you know, a re- every five days. I think they're going to have a really hard time feeling a competitive starting pitching staff. And, and that's, on the, on, that's on the starting pitching side. And I'm not even fully convinced with that lineup either. I know that, you know, everyone loves the name recognition, you know, the sex appeal, you know, the Aaron Judge, the Stantons. But these guys getting hurt man they're always getting banged up they're always injury prone they're always so one of those two like how often is that lineup fully intact for both those guys in the lineup every day and then you know you have that you're you're right so i just i think the jays have a better one through nine lineup in terms of offensive production and i actually feel like yeah, you know, there's no one that's going to be able to compare with Garrett Cole in that number one slot. But I think two to four, give me the Jays, then what I think they're going to end up getting from the Yankees in that two to five slot in terms of rotation. That's where I, that's kind of how I got to this. And I just I'm not fully convinced of this Yankees team, man. I just I'm really not. I I feel like other than that, you know what? So what else did they do this offseason? You know, they they brought back Lemayhew, uh, which they needed to bring him back, right? This guy's a great ball player, but other than that. You know they th- they 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 think that they're good to go. I'm just not fully convinced they're good to go. I think they I think they got cute with that starting staff, and it's going to come back to bite them. That's my personal opinion on it. So yeah, the staff yeah. the staff there is question marks there. I can't argue that, but I, but they do got some depth. You know, Labor Torres is decent. Gio Gio Urshel is not bad. You know, they need a good year from Gary Sanchez from not only behind the plate but with the bat as well. Um, Gardner and Hicks are pesky at bats the whole way through. And if you can keep Stanton or judge in the lineup, at least on an, on an every other day basis, at least one of them's in there every day, you've got enough there with LeMahieu and, and judge or Stanton there to at least carry you through some of those possible starting pitching struggles uh, throughout. I think they're going to be there. They may not win it, but I I just, they're just too good not to be there at the end of the year, at least uh, competing with the Jays or the race for, for this title. 
hundred percent. They're going to be there. I just feel like at the end of the day, and it, it could probably, it may very well be that it's like, you know, they, the three of them are separated by like, you know, four or five games. Like it's going to be relatively tight. I'm just, you know, there's a little bit of a homer play there, but I also just love the upside of this Jays, of this Jays lineup in, in that rotation. And I, I just feel like if you were to go ahead and grade who won the off season, it's the Jays. They won the off season. They brought in the biggest fish and they did some other kind of cute things, solidifying the bullpen and, you know, bringing in even a guy like Kirby Yates to help, you know, anchor things in the ninth. I just, I like what they did to their squad this year, man. And I, like I said, and you get another year of all that development. You get another year of Bichette, another year of Bijou, another year of Vladdy. Like, you know, that's all we've been talking about is, and not even that, but what about like the Teoscar Hernandez's and the Lourdes Gurriel's? Yep. Like yep. every year, yep. like, I just feel like you know what you have with the Yankees. Like, you know, you know, Judge and, and Stanton, these guys, they're not getting any better. You know what they are. If anything, there's risk. They may get worse. But the Jays are getting getting better. Every year, getting infinitely better as these guys mature and they get more at-bats, right? So, I don't know. I'm super excited for it, man. I think this is such a great year to be a Jays fan. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. I'm really excited about it. Well, that's a, that's a great way to end it. Let's flip it over now to uh, to the NL side. And this is a division that, you know, when, when I was doing my research on it, I, I wasn't, you know, pumped up or excited about it. And then you start to really dive in and, and look at it. And this is going to be a real competitive division here. And, and, you know, to me, there's only one team that, that might not be ready to win right now. And, and that's the Miami Marlins. But um, these other four squads, I feel they're going to be battling it out. And I think it's going to be truly about, you know, who stays healthy, um, who has good years. Can they get production from a couple different spots that you might not see it? And um, I think that's the team that'll that'll kind of take the vision because three or four of them uh, all have pretty good staffs. The Braves, maybe not so much. I know they got Morton but um, and a couple of young, young guys coming in. But um, those other three teams, the Mets, Phillies, and Nationals, got some big stud pitchers, and it'll be interesting to see. Let's, let's start off with the Braves first. Yeah. Um, another, we talk about lineup. I know, I know the left side of that infield's a little bit of a question mark, but, um, you know, you still got Freddie Freeman there. You've got a big time outfield in Okuna Jr. and, uh, Marcelo Suna. It'll be a battle in center field for them, but, um, how do you see these Braves shaping up? Do they, do they take a step back or do they continue to keep their stranglehold over this NL East? I think they win it. But it won't be as easy as it was, you know, in you know recent history. I think they're going to have to work for it a little bit this year. And I think, you know, I, I like what Anthopolis did with bringing in Morton and Drew Smiley because they needed to do something there to kind of help out. You know, you have Soroka coming back, you know, yep. toward Achilles. That could be kind of iffy. You know, you're hoping he comes back and he's as, as effective as he was, you know, when he was an all-star in 2019. Uh, Max Fried, Ian Anderson, they're young kids, right? Like, I know that they have high upside and, you know, Anderson had a really good rookie year last year. Max Freed is kind of quietly one of the better, like number one or number, you know, one, a one B type guys, but they needed to bring in some experience to help kind of solidify things because they're not going to be able to coast. They're going to need to have, you know, a competitive, you know, one to five starting rotation because everyone around them got better this year. Right. Like we talked about other than Miami, we're not really doing much of anything, you know, the nationals, the Bray or sorry, the, uh, the Nats, the Phillies and the Mets obviously all got, you know, materially better year over year, right? So they're, they're coming. It's going to be tight, but I think the Braves do end up squeaking it out and win the division this year. You got any worries about that bullpen? I started, you know, you start to dive in on that bullpen and there's just not a whole lot yeah. solidified there. I think they're going to have to mind. do something about that ninth inning spot because, you know, you lost Mark Melanchon, the free agent. He's gone. Uh, yeah. So it's, you know, for me, the biggest question with this squad was who, who handles the ninth, right? Because, 
This is going to be Will Smith, AJ Minter. You know, either way, you know, you got to figure it out. I wouldn't be surprised because they have, you know, a pretty decent farm system and they got some young kids. Maybe you go out and you get either you can add a guy in free agency. I'm not really sure who's still out there that would would fit, but you know, or go make a splash and, and bring a guy in and and uh, and help solidify things because you're there's going to be a lot of you know high leverage games, tight games, well pitched games where it's going to come down to you know making sure you don't blow those those games because you know like I said, I think Mets Mets and Nats are going to be right there chomping on their heels you know all season long for sure. So. Well, let's go over to the Mets and talk about that bullpen because I think, um, to me, when you stack the, the the entire pitching staff up from uh, from staff to bullpen, it's hard to stack up against this New York Mets staff. Like they've, you know, bringing in Carrasco and Taiwan Walker on a couple year deal. You still got Stroman and uh, Degrom. If Norris Syndergaard can come back at it, at any point of success. Um, and then you go to the bullpen with Diaz and Loop and Familia and Batances and Castro and Reed Foley. Like it's just, it, they've just got endless amounts it, of man. pitching. I, I love their staff. I think that they have the potential to be kind of one of the top five staffs in all of baseball this year. You know, and that's without, like, that's like you said, that's without, you know, Syndergaard coming back. Like, you know, same thing, you know, Tommy John rehab. He's expected to come back sometime in the summer. I don't think you even need them. Like, I think that the one through four there are so good that they're going to be able to keep things afloat and keep them in ball games. Um, and if he comes back, it's a bonus, right? Like, they're not even banking on that, right? But I think what kind of – my only real concern with this Mets lineup was I just think they need one more big bat. Because look at that – look at that Braves yeah, lineup, man. One to nine. Like, it's loaded. It is absolutely loaded. You know, you have – you know, we've mentioned Freddie Freeman, you know, NL MVP last year. You know, they have so many big boppers there. Like, I love they brought in Lindor. He's a great piece at the top of that lineup. You know, Pete Alonso in the middle, big bopper. Conforto, if you can stay healthy, is also very productive. But then I'm just like, well, now what? Who's, like, the next guy? Like, they have those three that are, like, decent bats. But, like, give me someone else that's, like, a sexy name that, you know, it can come up there and hit 280 and give you 30-plus bombs and driving a hundred guys because that's, that's what I think they're missing. That's they're like, they're one piece away from being, I think, and you know, listen, Steve Cohen, we talked about these guys. Like when we talked about Dave Tepper with Carolina and the NFL, like these like finance hedge fund guys, like they get super impatient. They want to win now. Like, I'm not surprised they made that move for Lindor. Like he, he's probably, they're not done yet. They're going to find a way, you know, there's all these rumors. You and I talked about the Cubbies last week, like, you know, what would a Chris Bryant look like in New York if they could find a way to make that work? Like yeah. someone like that to kind of just push them over the top and make them where they're a legitimate contender. Um, I have them sitting, you know, at the end of the year in second spot. That's kind of where I sit. That, that's where I think they're going to end up. It's sitting second behind the Braves. So, it, but that that other bat's got to come from behind the plate in McCann. You know, you look at it four four years, forty million. You jump the gun on the the catcher uh, the catcher size. You did you didn't wait for. Uh, Remoto to come out and he goes over to the Phillies and you know you spend four years 40 million hey this guy's hit 25 dingers over 149 games over his last two yeah. seasons James McCann that's where that bat's got to come from it's he, it's got to come from from behind the plate to protect the likes of like you said Alonzo Conforto and some of these other you know decent bats that you've got in the lineup here um, to help along the great starting pitching, and I think if they can do that, they've 100%. got a shot. Like, I think they're right. They can, they're, this is going to again be like a 
a couple games separation at the top. They're going to be right there. Like they're going to be like, you know, yep. in September, they'll be playing meaningful ball games for sure. hundred percent. So how do, how do the Philly shape up? How do they stay competitive in this division? Is it, is it relying on the likes of, of Nolan and Wheeler and Eflin and, and Chase Anderson as the, as the staff? Or is it, um, you know, Bryce Harper and McCutcheon refining some form with, with JT behind the plate, getting going, and, and Didi at short, um, and the lineup? Where do you think their strength is uh, in terms of this division you know, and how actually, they're going to stack I up? I think Philly's, like, the point of their real competitive advantage versus their peers in this division is its leadership at the top, right? They found a way somehow to bring in Dave Dombrowski, who, you know, as their new president of baseball ops, you know, it's kind of hard to argue with this guy's track record. Guys led, you know, three different teams to World Series appearances, you know, two championships with the Marlins back in 97 and then the Sox in 18. And, you know, you combine that leadership at the top with Joe Girardi, you know, he got arguably the best, I think, leadership tandem. Now it's just a matter of putting something on the field, which is going to be able to rival with the Mets and Nats and Braves can field out there. I think, you know, they did a good job bringing back Romuto and, and bringing back Gregorius. Uh, Archie Bradley signing was a nice one as well, too, in terms of solidifying that bullpen. You know, big, hard-throwing kid. That should help there. Um, you obviously still have Bryce. You have Riz Hoskins. Uh, you mentioned McCutcheon. The kid I'm really excited about, though, and he had a really good season last year, was Alex Baum, you know, the third baseman. You know, this kid was third overall pick in 2018. Uh, a real pleasant surprise last year. You know, he finished second in NL Rookie of the Year voting. Uh, you know, I read somewhere the other day that he finished, you know, hitting over 400, you know, in a, a relatively small sample size. But over the last 20 games last year, you know, he was hitting north of 400. So I'm really excited to see what they get from that guy. I think they got Nola at the top of that staff. I just feel like there's too many holes. Like we just talked about that Met staff and we talked about that Brave staff. Like they're nowhere near that. I think they're missing a couple pieces. They're, they're a couple of years away. Um, I see them finishing this year probably in the fourth spot in the divisions. That's kind of where I see the Phillies this year. So, yeah, what do you what do you yeah, think? Probably maybe like you know, like seventy five to eighty games, most likely somewhere in that realm. There, um, they yeah. got some nice pieces. It's just you know, this division's really really tough. Like one through four, it's you, you may have four teams. Again, it, it would depend on where Miami finishes the year, but you may have four teams kind of at or above five hundred. So this, I just think there's some really good, yep. you know, squads. A lot of star power too, right? Like Harper, Acuna, Lindor, Juan Soto, who we're gonna get to next. But like yep. tons of star power, right? Like our right. Freddie Freeman, like Freddie this Freeman. division arguably has like yep. you know five or six of the best top ten ball players in baseball right now, right? Like it, they're loaded up. So yeah, it's a definitely a fun division to be following for sure. So. Well, let's close it out. I don't think we need to dive too much into to, to Miami here, but let's close it out with the Nats. Um, talking about a talking about a staff um, and a one-two punch, and I know I know both these guys have, have had some injuries and they're both long in the tooth and have log, logged a lot of innings. But um, is there a better one-two punch, not only in this division but in baseball with uh, with the Nationals? It's it's the big question for me, right? These guys, right? Is that if you can get a, ref, a return to form from that big three of I'm tossing Corbin in there too, because they're paying him like an ace. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw him in there like, like a three headed yeah. monster here. So if you can get some type of a 2019 return to form for Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, 
they're going to be right there, man. They're going to be right there. So that that's what this is all hinging on is is whether that, that those guys can come back and be aces. You know, they're both, you know, not both. All three are now over thirty. And you know how it is with pitchers. It's kind of like you know other major professional sports where, you know, you get over thirty and all of a sudden now like things start breaking down and you know, maybe you lose a couple miles an hour on your fastball or whatnot. Like I just felt like last year was a real tough year for, for all three of them. Um, let's see. I think if you can get at least two of them to come back to form, you're going to be there. Um, what did you think about what they did on the offensive side? You know, you know, obviously, you know, Rendon's been gone now for a couple of years, but they got Juan Soto who you can make a case for being, you know, at 22 years old, the best player in the game right now, or one of the best players in the game. What did you make yep. of them bringing in, you know, two guys like Josh Bell and, uh, and Kyle Schwarber to kind of help them a little bit in the middle of that lineup? What do you think about those two acquisitions? Yeah, I like them. I like them. You know what? It's because uh, you got you got a question mark at third base in in uh, in Carter Keebaum. Um You got Josh Bell to pair with Zimmerman at first base. Nice to have Harrison there just in case Carter doesn't pan out. Nice to have Zimmerman kind of platoon not not a full platoon but just to be there as a, as you know the veteran presence in his 16th season in, in Washington I like it I like it uh Starling Castro at second base and and to me you still got one of the best shortstops in Trey going so I like the lineup I think they're gonna need a couple of those pieces to come together to be able to push the likes of the Brave and Braves and the Mets I still got them in third place but it's like you said, I, I think this division, we could be pushing three teams close to 90 wins here, which is, uh, which is unheard of. It's, I love it. I love this division. It's going to be something that I'm going to Yeah, no, it's going to be fun, man. Long. And listen, on the Marlins, but I, this, the lineup is crap. Like, there's not a single guy in that lineup that I think would, would start. Like, other than, other than Starling Marquette, <laughs> which is one of these guys where I was looking at them the other day, I'm like, I didn't even remember that guy was even in Miami. Like talking about like totally getting lost in the shuffle. The fact like th- that's one of those guys where if I yeah. asked you where Starling Marte currently playing right now, I bet you like you know nine out of ten guys would be like I have no idea where the fuck he's playing right now. I have no clue, right? Like so he's just lost. And other than that, there really isn't much on the offense. Staff, this staff is super fun. You got five kids, all about twenty five years or younger. Um, and they all got like big arms and a lot of swing and miss type stuff. Like, you know, that kid Sixto Sanchez is supposed to be like, like a baby Pedro Martinez. He's routinely hitting a hundred on the gun. Like it's fun. You know, listen, last year, no one thought they were going to make the playoffs. And I know there's a little bit of a small sample size. It's 60 game season. Anything... And, uh, you know, he won, you know, manager of the year last year, they got, they're going to be around. They're going to be hanging around because, again, when you got a bunch of kids with nothing to lose, they're just going to go out there and have fun and play ball, right? And there's no one there to watch them play. Even if the you know, even if the bands were, were yeah. elected, there would still be no one there to watch them play. So it's it's easy going, right? They're just going to be out there playing loosey-goosey baseball. And who knows, man? Listen, they're not going to be even remotely close. I don't think at the end of the year, but they're going to be pesky. I think you're not going to want to go in there and mile an hour at your head, right? So it's going to be like they're going to have a, a fun team. That's you know probably gonna be a bunch of low scoring games, um, and they're gonna finish last. But they they got they got a couple pieces to be excited about. Let's just say that. So yeah, they're they're building, they're building. But like you said, I think you know you come off of a fifty seven two win season in two thousand nineteen. 
31 and 29 last year. It, it, like it, I, they're, they're a little bit like the Orioles to me. I think long-term over 162 games, there's just not enough there for them to compete long-term, but uh, some pieces to build around and some fun, fun, um, you know, good athletes to watch um, as we move forward from 2020, 100%. 2021 and beyond. So, Oh boy. Well, I'm looking, thank you very much for coming on. I'm looking forward to our live show coming up uh, one week from tonight, March 15th, NFL free agency, Instagram live. We're back at it again. Thanks for joining us for our MLB preview, AL East, NL East. We'll check back with you in a couple weeks for another couple divisions as we move closer to April 1st. I know you're looking forward to, uh, the start of the baseball season. Thanks for coming Always on. Appreciate it. your time. Love it. Thanks for having me on, pal. No problem. And all the listeners out there, make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ginger and Dutch One. And thanks for tuning in to the Ginger and Dutch podcast. I'm Ginger, and I'm Dutch.